0: Hey, this is Jim Duncan with Nest Realty. Uh, This time on Sweat the Details, we were joined by Eric Kelly, a Charlottesville-based wedding photographer, and he documents weddings and events nationally and internationally. He's been on the best photographer list for Harper's Bazaar and Martha Stewart Weddings since 2016. We talked about a wide range of topics, from how he scouts locations, building and developing client relationships, and he's got a fast-growing referral network for wedding photographers. And we talked about how and whether he's going to scale himself and how he's choosing to live a proactive life. Eric is also married to singer-songwriter Laura Kelly, and they have two kids, two crazy dogs, and he's called Charlottesville home since he arrived at UVA in 2002.
1: You prep for all these. How many weddings a year do you do? Uh, I'm currently doing 25 this year. Okay, last year was about the same number. 2017 was only 13 because I was burned out and I wanted to quit.
2: Yeah,
1: okay. but I've I've done about 650 weddings since 2004 when wow. I started. Give or take ten yeah. percent.
2: And how did you how did you get into it? Tell us that story about how did you how you I mean obviously you had a, a love for photography and I mean, tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so I loved photography kind of from when I was little. I kind of romanticized how good my dad was at photography. I don't know that he was really a great photographer, but he had a camera and it was stolen. And so there is this like key moment in my life where his camera was stolen and it, his photos were never the same after the camera was stolen. Um, and so I just always kind of had a, um, a desire to make photographs for some reason um, and saw photos from grandparents from the 20s and from older than that. Um, and so I'd always loved it. I did some in high school, and actually on September 11th, 2001, I was taking some photographs at my school, and I remember taking a photograph, and the moment I clicked it, I said, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like I had this revelation while I was taking this photo of wow. – the kids praying in my school of like feeling the feeling the full weight of everything that was going on. And it's like, this is what I'm, do you still have it? Yeah. And it was in the newspaper. It was in the school newspaper. So it was like, that was just, I've, I've only a few times in my life. I'm like, this is what it's supposed to be like. And that was one of them. So I did photography for school, got to UVA, did photography at UVA did a lot of sports photography and then Jen Ferriello, who's a local mm-hmm. photographer, yep. she came to my class at UVA. She was just a few years um, out of school, and she came to talk about lighting, um, and she was shooting mostly film, but she came to talk about off-camera lighting, which, like, thinking back now, I'm like, I don't know why they chose to have her talk about lighting, but um, just because you know her work, it's very um, organic and natural light, and right. it's, anyway. She's not one that would typically be thought of as the artificial lighting queen. Right, yeah. right, right. Um, and so she was talking about her assistant and, uh, I was like, Hey, do you need another assistant or anything? So she connected me with Bill and Ann Holland, Holland photo arts, um, who was around a few years ago. And, um, so from 2005, spring of 2005 to the end of 2007, I worked for them when I graduated in 06, I, um, had studied with them and I was like, I need insurance. Um, this was pre to that 26 year old keeping on their parents insurance. So I needed insurance when I graduated. And so I started working full time for them and had apprenticed with them and associate shot with them. Um, the one way you can scale. Um, right. And, and so in the end of 2007, I went out on my own and started shooting weddings by myself in 2008, Jack Looney and a few other photographers in town. I just, assisted as much as I could Um, did about 45 or 50 jobs that year um, between second shooting and then my own jobs and then just kept going
3: so how so how did it move then from a primarily Charlottesville base to more of the traveling work that you do now
1: so in the early days I was going to Veritas nonstop. that's a local vineyard which is a local vineyard um, winery and vineyard in out in Afton and well, I was, while it's beautiful and I loved it, I was like, if I have to go to this ballroom and this wine cellar, and like, if I have to do this another time, I'm going to pull my hair out. And so, uh, around the same time, I started getting introduced to national, like photographers nationally. And I saw, um, one in particular Jose Villa and I loved his work. And we were like, we we also realized that people were charging, and he was upwards of twenty five thousand dollars for wedding photography. So we said, "I'm going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. I right. want to go there." And so by setting my sights on twenty five thousand dollar weddings, um, there's only a few in town every year. Like how, I mean, like how
0: how big is that twenty five grand market? I mean, it, worldwide, because you, you travel all over the world. You know, I love your Instagram because I look at all the awesome places I've never been. And, you know, and it's, you know, how big is that market internationally? And how did you, like, take that track?
1: So I would say that there's about a dozen photographers like me in the United States. And uh, worldwide, there are only a few more. So maybe, maybe two dozen photographers that are shooting like me and charging that amount. There are people that are charging way more than that. Right. Mario Testino will do a wedding for... $350,000 probably, maybe not, I don't know. But there are a few photographers, few fashion photographers that will charge an exorbitant amount of money. And when you have billions and billions of dollars, what's, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars for this amazing photographer that has all this clout. So with that, there aren't many people doing it, um, but there are enough to provide me 20, 25. My average this year was just about $20,000 per wedding. So they weren't all that level. Some of them were lower. That doesn't mean that I have to shoot make that much money to do a job. Um, and setting my prices high has allowed me to work locally for less. And when a planner calls me, I'm just like, "This is my normal price, but if I get to sleep in my bed, tell me what sure. I need to do." Right. Um, I'm not unwilling to work for less than that. But so, how do you scout? I mean, you're going, you know, you you
0: go to all these places all over the world. I mean, how do you scout? If someone says it's this, you know, remote island in
1: Greece. Do you Google it? Do you, you know, Google? How do you... Is, Google is my friend. Um, so most of my weddings that I'm booking now are either um, are, are mostly coming from wedding planners, and so they'll tell me the name of the the venue, and I'll Google it. Uh, and for instance, I'm going to Mallorca, Spain, in the end of September, and it's at this fort that's on its own peninsula. I don't even know the name now, but I Googled it, and I was like, "This is my dream job." And so. Um, I just did a little bit of research, research to figure out where it was and what it looked like. Scouting though, I really I try to go a day or a day and a half early so that I can scout the location and scout the the different places. Um, but I rely a lot on the wedding planners to organize the event really well and that takes some of the pressure off of me to have to find locations because they've already found the locations and they they know what they want it to look like in the end. So it's really helped where it's hard is those jobs that don't have planners, or they're like at just an estate at a family's estate. Like, there's only so many right. places you can go.
3: So, so I would assume though that if there are only a dozen photographers like you in the U.S., there's also probably only fifteen wedding planners who are at this tier, and that you guys are, are working with very similar teams in in many of these places. Does do you find that you're communicating with the other? other members of the team to find out other, other pieces that are specific about the location, if they've been there before, or is this, or most of the spots kind of first time for everybody spots. There are a few
1: locations around that
3: will, that
1: I will definitely reach out and be like, Hey, how is this? Or what do you think of this? But a lot of them are like, I got a 900 person inquiry. I didn't end up getting the job, but I got a 900 person inquiry for a little town in the middle of Louisiana. I don't know, but I knew the other two photographers are, I, I actually know the other four photographers that provided a quote or a proposal to this planner, um, to, and I know the, the two in the final running of this wedding. Um, but we talk, we, we all know each other. We're all acquaintances, um, friends, when we're together. Um, so I kind of feel like, and I feel like the others feel like a rising tide lifts all ships. And so we're kind of all in this together. I know that I'm going to win some, I know that I'm going to lose some, but hopefully we're all getting enough work. Um, from each other uh, or from the wedding planners um, and there are probably there are a couple dozen um, wedding planners um, I thought that there were only three or four that were doing these and then I was talking to a wedding planner and she's like yeah we did two million dollar weddings in one day like where they spent million dollars over the weekend for the wedding she's like my my company did two in one weekend and I was like there aren't only four, photo- four wedding planners right. that right. are doing big dollar weddings there are a multitude. And so they're 25, maybe there's more okay. than that. I'm not sure. I'm still meeting new ones.
3: So, you know, obviously the limiting factor for your business is is Eric Kelly, right? I mean, that's, you can't just be in multiple locations doing the weddings at one time. How do you, how do you begin to looking at scaling or, you know, you had said at one point you started doing less weddings just because you were burning out. Is there a way to change the scalability of your business? Is there a way to train people to be able to take within your, your quality or how does that, how does the future of that business look?
1: Yeah. So, uh, a couple of years ago I started reading the book, scaling up, um, mastering the Rockefeller habits. And I realized from that, but also other th- conversations that I couldn't scale myself. Um, I was doing some work with borrowed and blue a few years ago, Adam Healy. Um, and were read, they,
0: they were a wedding, they were a wedding
1: website. Um, borrowed and blue was a wedding website and they have, uh, some things happened, and uh, Zola is a registry company, um, but they now they bought all the assets from Borrowed in Blue, um, and have taken on the content. So really, couples will go to th- this website and search out for search for vendors mm-hmm. to find for their jobs. Okay. The question about scaling was that I realized I couldn't scale myself. I was only me, so um, I have a supply and demand problem where I get four or five hundred inquiries a year, and I can only take. 10 10 to 20 of them so what do i do with the other 380 480 inquiries that i get and so that's when i really started thinking about the referral system um so for me i went i decided to stay myself and not hire associates which is another way you can scale you can bring on another photographer two three four and you make you make some money but it's a whole lot more work um and i wasn't ready for that when i when I was thinking about all of this, I mean, it sounds so, like a lot more
0: management of people than taking pictures of people.
3: Yeah. But so well yeah. also it also feels like a risk that you're you're now putting your name, your brand, on someone else's work and someone else's composition and eyes and lighting and everything else that goes with it, that the output may not be what the buyer was expecting when they hired your firm to do the work. Right. And I
1: think that it's harder for a personal a personal name associated with the company rather than, so there's a videography company called Elysium Productions and um, the owner is Julie Hill. Like, it's not Julie Hill videography, it's Elysium. So they've got six or seven teams. So every weekend they're doing five or six or seven teams, um, doing weddings, these teams are, around the country, around the world, really. And they've got a really, like, good production system in the back in California. And I just, I wasn't wanting to go that route, a few years ago i wanted to well that's not you that's not that's not you i definitely have like feelings sometimes i'm like okay i'm ready and then i'm like no i'm not ready and then i'm ready and then i'm not ready <laughs> so i'm like i'm i've been laser focused for the last 2 years on just going toward me and by myself um with a team of people that help support me um and trying to figure out some other side hustles or side revenue things that i can that I can work on. Does your
0: family travel with you?
1: They have traveled with me to a few weddings. We were out in Colorado a couple of years ago and got a big Airbnb for the family and for the assistants and the videography, videography team. And so we all kind of hung out. Um, But my one, my wife's (laughs) one requirement was for the client to fly us out on their plane. And so she flew, (laughs) they flew, the kids all flew out like nonstop from DC to Denver and then private to the, to the venue. And so they're like, She's like, that's the only way I'm doing this. And you're like, (laughs) okay. Yeah. So no, we don't go very often. Right. Uh, We did go to the Bahamas a few months ago for a big um, luxury event um, summit that I go to called Engage Summits. Um, And so the kids came, swam in the pool, swam in the ocean. um, And Laura's mom also came with us. Right. Uh, So occasionally, but I'm now like, let me get there and let me get back Mm -hmm. um, and be done with it. No distractions. No distractions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, talk to us
2: about your 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 uh, side hustles and this referral network. We'd love to hear about that. It sounds like you know it's been in in the works for a couple of years, and we've heard about how it's evolved. But we'd love to hear more about uh, what your what what the process is and what you, what yeah. the future of that is.
1: Yeah. So I, uh, like I said a few years ago, started thinking about referrals and trying to scale my business, and I realized that there were um, there are tiers to wedding photography uh, and how much you charge. So when you're first starting out, let's say you're in the five hundred to twenty five hundred dollar range, and then you're in this like two to five and a half thousand dollar range with like limited coverage and then you add more stuff that you deliver and then you're in the four to eight thousand dollar range and then the seven to twelve thousand dollar range so there's all these diff- there's these different um, bands, and most people um, one, every job that I get is based on availability so hey, are you available for my job? And what do you charge? They're never just saying, my date's flexible. They've, they've, every once in a while, their date is flexible. But for the most part, there is a particular time when they need me to work. And I am faced with a decision. Do I want to say I'm available for this job and charge less because they don't have the budget that I that I really want? Or uh, should I pass it off to somebody? So I started thinking about um, how to build a referral network and I know that um I don't know all of the details of it but I know that in realty there is a referral commission if um I send somebody to you I don't know how it works but there are other industries that have referral fees um that are required um and there are Um, other industries where there's no referral fee. There's no, there's not even a thought about it. It's like, oh, I share with you, you share with me. It's a quid pro quo kind of thing. Um, But I knew that a lot of the people that are charging less than me are never going to be able to send me an inquiry and never going to be able to send me a referral. And so I started analyzing it. I started thinking about it. And I found that um, most people were, while they didn't like me charging them a referral fee, they were willing to offer me a referral fee. So I changed the conversation about it and found that people more often than not or on average were willing to give about a 6% referral fee for a job that I could send them that they could book. And so I built an Excel spreadsheet and I put every day in the calendar like, you know, my vertical columns were the months and my months and days and I just started like marking off my availability. And so the first iteration was an Excel spreadsheet with multiple, multiple tabs that sure. I just put my friends' names in. And I said, will you fill in green when you're booked? And so I can see the dates that you're yeah. available. Um, and this idea really started when I was on a plane and I got an inquiry from somebody and I sent it to my friend, Laura and she texted me back and I just replied to the, the couple. And I was like, Hey, I'm not available, but my friend, Laura um, is awesome. We just worked together. You should call her. And she texted me and she said, thanks so much. I'm not available. And it hit me right then. That I you needed- have to vet them before you got to check that. I have to you know who's available off. before I send them something. So I've been building this system around availability. And so I have 1,700 people on referral.network now, wow. mostly all photographers. Wow. Um, I knew that I needed to start very small, very niche.
0: That's not small. 1,700? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it feels small when I think about the potential of referral network and so uh, I've got about 450 uh, users on my Facebook group that we kind of talk about things Um, and so I'm trying to figure out how to get every person to build their own little network that they can have people upstream that can send them uh, jobs and can see this person's availability and they also have downstream that can uh, they can see their availability and can send jobs too. so you can give and you can receive referrals um, and it's all based on availability because who wants to send something to somebody when they're overloaded with work already?
3: Right. So, just wondering. I mean, obviously within the wedding arena, there's always the ubiquitous wedding band, right? And they always have managers. They have, you know, they're doing several different types of venues, but weddings are are certainly a, a good money maker for the band. They have managers who manage that schedule. Who you know, who have websites with 1500 different bands that go up and down the East Coast or whatever area. Why have photographers never? Found themselves in that type of a relationship with somebody who who does manage the schedules for larger groups? Is that, I mean, why have you stayed independent in your entire business booking cycle?
1: That's a really great question. I've not actually thought about that, but I think it's a great question. And I think a lot of people uh, are prideful and don't want to have relinquished control of things. Right. Um, it took me a long time to relinquish control on picking the images that I'm going to deliver to the client and editing the images that I'm going to deliver to the client. And so now I have people that help me with both of those things. But it takes a long time to relinquish control. And we're all kind of small business owners and we don't know what we don't know yet. And there hasn't been a great manager of that ever anywhere in right. the, the world that we've come across. Well,
0: I, mean, I think it's also confidence and fear. I mean, you have to have confidence in the product you're delivering to be able to to relinquish that. And you're also fearful of if, Eric, if you build up you know, Sally or whomever, she's
1: going to be a competitor. Right. Right. And that is a fear that a lot of people have. I don't have that fear because um, I'm like, she. maybe she'll be a competitor, but mm-hmm. there should be enough work for to go around and she's probably going to be a couple of years behind me. Right. And who knows where I'm going to be when she reaches my level and maybe we'll compete. That's fine. Right. Right. Um, I think also the biggest thing or a big thing is that people don't want to share their availability with people out in the world because they want to be able to have the conversation and have the connection with that person. Like I want you to inquire with me regardless of my price and regardless right. of my availability so that I can send you to somebody. Um, and there hasn't been a good system for sharing availability websites, the knot, um, com, wedding wire, All these big sites have tried availability and nobody ever wants to share their availability with the customer.
3: Well, I'd imagine there's also a fear of if I share the availability and there's a calendar up that people can see, they'll know whether I'm busy and whether I'm popular and whether other people perceive me as being valuable. Yeah.
0: Couldn't that that be a negotiation tactic? If they see that you're, you're unbooked for a month, yeah. You know, okay, well, you're asking, you know, X, we'll give you X minus 10%.
1: Yeah, I think that devaluing art is uh, really personal. And that's kind of how it is. Like, I think the art is only worth as much as somebody's willing to pay for it. Right. And I'm now in the art. Like, I am an artist. And so I might... Um, I, I don't want people to come to me negotiating. I want to offer that, to negotiate with them. I want them to be like, oh, your stuff is great. Right. This is awesome. I don't want them to sit. The moment they'll be like, can you do this for 50% off? I'm just like, We're not a good no. fit. We're not a good fit. <laughs> but... <laughs> You're right, if but if they like me and we get to get along and it happens to be, I have four criteria: the date, the location, the size of the job, and the people involved in the job. So I take all those into consideration sure. when I'm thinking about any inquiry. Say those again: the date, the location, the scope of the job, and the other vendors involved in the job. Okay. So if I get an inquiry in the middle of January, well, not this coming January, but because uh, I'm going to take the month off. But if I'm going to um, get an inquiry for January and I know and it's in Florida, the likelihood of me getting another inquiry for that date in Virginia, I actually don't want to take it because I don't really want to shoot in January in Virginia. Right. So I'm going <laughs> to probably do it for as little as $8,000. There are other people that live in, there, live in Florida that if I don't want to do it, I can pass them that wedding and right. they're grateful to have that wedding because they probably wouldn't have gotten that inquiry. Um...
2: Yeah. Well, you know, going back to the concept of people seeing your schedule and and wanting to being able to negotiate years ago and switching over to real estate. I was just going back to
3: the listing sheets. That were the, in the listing sheets.
2: When, you, when, you, when a realtor showed a house, you'd walk into the house and there would be a sign-in sheet. And the sign-in sheet would be the realtor's name, their company, and which date and time they showed it. And if you went into a listing that your clients were really your buyer clients were really interested in and you looked at he the sign in sheet and nobody had showed the house for 3 months and they love the house you'd say nobody's looking at the house i think we've got some negotiating power right um and then we got lock boxes it then we got lock boxes <laughs> and now the uh, the showing history was basically wiped out yeah on the buyer agency side, so that took a negotiating, uh, a potential negotiating tactic away from the buyer's agent. So, kind of a very similar. Well, uh, well now I look for cobwebs on the lockbox. If I'm knocking cobwebs off, right, eh, we might have have a bit of flexibility. Have a chance. (laughs) Right. I want to jump over to the. uh, So we're we're big on uh, at Nest and client experience, and and working with the client and making sure they have the best client experience. And clearly, with what you're doing, I mean, this is the day for. You know, multiple families, specifically multiple families, like this is a day that they've looked forward to for, you know, potentially forever. Right. Um, and so I, I'd love to talk to you about the process that you take. We talked a little bit about your scouting, but uh, the process that you take of sitting down with the bride and the groom and their families and talking to them about what they need. And what you provide, and I, I just love to hear that 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 approach that you take. Yeah,
1: so I think that the the families that I'm working with uh, are working with a an, a, um, a wedding planner, an event planner, and working with a pretty substantial team on their end. And I feel most of the time that I uh, I don't really have that much of a relationship with my clients up until the wedding most of my clients love me and my demeanor and like build a really great rapport um with them and and i'm doing all of that by kind of being quiet by not requiring much of them uh, i give them a, a a shot list standard shot list i give the the planner um a standard shot list to go from but when when you're at the level that i feel like i am at and I'm working with these people that kind of have things under control, a lot of pressure is taken off of me to have a really intense relationship with them. So I'm not really talking to people before the wedding, um, which is one reason why I like to get there. And I also like to shoot two or three day events is so that by the end of it, I kind of feel like a friend and feel like a family member. I did a wedding um, a year and a half ago and had not met the family ahead of time, finished the reception and the dad said, This was the best photographic experience I've ever had. He is a big lawyer in Chicago. And he's like, if you ever need a referral or anything, just tell him to call me. It sounded like a commercial um, when he said it. (laughs) But that family is, they have five kids. And this was the first daughter. And that's my, we talk a lot about ideal client, like who's your ideal client. And that is my ideal client. Because I can walk into a room with a billionaire And then I can walk into the next room with a homeless person, or I can have them both in the same room and I can bridge the gap between all of them. And so I feel like you can drop me in a bucket with anybody and I'm good to go. So because I have confidence in myself and in, in, in who I am, I don't feel like I have to have a bunch of conversations with the client ahead of time. And so is that good or bad? I don't know. So what I'm doing now is really trying to focus on the customer service after the wedding Mm -hmm. Um, one, because I haven't really had legacy clients, clients that come to me over and over again. Well, that's kind of a good thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jen Ferriello, on the other hand, has tons of legacy clients. Right. She lives in Charlottesville. She shoots mostly Charlottesville weddings. She'll often do the babies when they are born, and then they'll keep doing family photos. And then if you're around long enough and doing your, your craft, you're going to shoot those kids' weddings. Right.
0: So for the, for those who aren't in Charlottesville, Jen Ferriello is in one of the best photographers
1: so, she's I mean, one of the best that I know. Yeah. she's amazing. Sorry, I've, I've dropped her name a couple of times. No, no, it's it's
0: she's you know, like a really great anyone person. in Charleston. You say her name, like, oh yeah, she's amazing. Mm-hmm. So it's it's, you know, it's so for the legacy clients that you're talking about. I mean, what are you going to do for the after for the after action, if you will? Do you have a plan in place to to follow up for years on end to get the third daughter?
1: Yeah, I just hired somebody who is working with me to kind of bring back all of my emails, all of my contacts. This is one of the things that he's going to help me with. Bring them all back and kind of start reaching out to them. We just reactivated 140 galleries on my online proofing site to send everybody an email and just like ping them again to say, hey, I'm still here. We're going to offer you a great sale on these prints if you want anything. So I'm going to try to work on getting back, but I'm also really trying to um, work on the right after the wedding the wedding night I'm delivering photos or the next morning I'm delivering a handful of photos so they can walk away with something to, uh, to take with them on their honeymoon or wherever. Uh, we're in such an instantaneous moment right now where I feel like I'm almost doing a disservice by not offering something, um, to them. So I've shot film a lot for the last 10 years. Uh, and I've, since brought a little bit more digital back into my life in the last two years. Is um, it just for
3: speed of delivery? Is that the primary piece or
1: primary piece is speed of delivery, but also as I'm getting older, I want to make sure that I'm getting things in focus as my eyes go. I'm like, I don't want to deliver out of focus photos to you. So I'm trying to take precautionary measures to make sure that I'm delivering great images. And at the the price point that I'm at, I'm like, I can't mess up anything. Like I got to make right. sure that it's all good. So I'm kind of backing myself up both sides. Um, God forbid I lost something. I want to make sure that I have it kind of in, in two right. locations. So um, I'm delivering, I'm setting up some wholesale accounts to deliver some like little custom boxes to the clients. And um, th- the great thing about working with planners mostly is that the clients don't really know everything that I'm delivering to them. Like they, they, they kind of signed the contract like I'm not really that big of a ticket item for these big weddings. I'm just kind of another vendor, um, and so I've found that I'm delivering prints and a little candle and some matches and a USB and this little box. And everyone is like, "Oh my gosh, this was the nicest thing! Thank you." They weren't expecting it, even though it was in my contract that I'm delivering these things. And so, trying to figure out how to like send some like nice little things, but not oversend.
2: Right. Well, it's you know one of the things you said about almost being not in the center of the wedding you, you don't want to be a center of a wedding you want to be a fly on the wall which is different than what a lot of realtors are working on a lot of realtors want to be at the center of the transaction right. and kind of be the point person for everything who you know uh, as a as a as a buyer's agent i want somebody to contact me after you know during the process and ask me every question and i want to be the one that refers them the attorney and you know just kind of be the center we of want the to transaction. be the wedding planner right you want to be the wedding planner um so so it's interesting to kind of see that you're taking an opposite approach. I know from my perspective, when I got married in 2001, uh, our photographer, I mean, we think back on it, and unfortunately we didn't have a great photographer experience, that we missed like 40 minutes of our of our uh, uh, reception because it was we were getting pictures and it was like they they prevented us from having, so I saw the photographer as a, as a problem at that point, which is, which is unfortunate. So that's a great approach of you just kind of being a fly on the wall and, and kind of staying on the outskirts. There's,
1: there's moments where I need to be a fly on the wall and there's moments where I need to insert myself and affect things. So I studied fine art photography and I'm like, how am I ever going to make money off of shooting fruit on a table. Like, I don't know how I'm going to make still life money, like money off of still life. And so I got into the photojournalism. And when I was working for Holland Photo Arts, I was very photojournalistic heavy. And now, and then I kind of moved in 2010, 11, 12, when I started shooting film into more of a fine art approach and a little bit slower approach. So there's times when I need to be a fly on the wall. There's a time when I need to step in and like be in the center of things. I'm thinking about the, what you said about the, the, the real estate agents now want to kind of do all of those things, uh, and answer those questions. I want to pre, I want to preempt those questions. I want to know and have it ingrained into everything that I'm delivering. They don't need to ask me any questions. So you can live reactionary life or you can live a proactive life. And I lived a reactionary life for a really long time. And so the last three or four years, I've really been trying to focus on how do I live a proactive life? Um, and so how do I, I can sense when clients are going to email me. So how do I, when I sense that, like go ahead and shoot them an email, like walk them through this process. So how in my mind, as I'm thinking about realty, my mom's a realtor. And so I'm like, how can she deliver a better service to her clients? And I think that there are too many, there's too many things on y'all's plate that you should have a team helping you with scheduling or helping you with this. Or like I'm working with a new album company right now. And I'm like, Hey, Client. <laughs> I have a great team at the album company, and they do albums. I don't do albums. they do albums, and we're going to walk you through this process really well. But going back to like why don't people have a manager of their schedule? We are scared of what we don't understand, and I didn't understand how to connect the I thought that the client was going to see me as not a professional if I didn't know how to do everything, right but the right. more niche, the more focused I've got I've gotten and become the more I understand that clients are okay. If I have somebody else help me with this particular thing, because we're going to be able to take care of them better.
2: They're the expert and you've got Mm -hmm. the confidence, you've got the self-confidence. So I I guess I'll, uh, wrap this up with one final question. Clearly you're in a business that is focused on details. I mean, the, the, the devil's in the details with, with everything that you do and that your team does, uh, uh, with you and for you. So, um, what's one what's the one detail that you sweat and that you think about obsessively for for every for your business or for the, every project that you work on
1: sending that final email with the gallery of the images that I just poured <laughs> poured <laughs> my life into for the last four, three or four months or whatever it is even if I have people helping me I'm still like I delivered one two days ago and I was like writing the email it was with Lynn Easton okay. who is a local yep. uh she owns and and she's an event planner and entrepreneur. To- entrepreneur. Sure. Yeah, Uh, they have a hotel in Charleston, restaurant here in Charlottesville, and I did this wedding in the Hamptons with Lynn June first, and we we had dinner the other day, and she's like, "So how many hours does, would you say it actually like man hours it takes to edit this wedding?" Because I'm like ten weeks out now, right. Like It takes about forty five hours. So she like I could see her doing some math in her head. And Dean was there, her husband, and so I was I was sweating a little bit because I'm like forty five hours. That's that's only like that's only a few days of work, but here I am ten weeks after the wedding. So I need to have a team of people helping me, but I so I can deliver it better and faster. But I am still sweating that that final email. Like that is the biggest thing for me. Like, am I doing it? I don't think I'm going to miss things at the wedding. I think I'm going to get it all. Um, and and I'm working with great people. When I was shooting, when I was starting out, I was afraid that I was going to miss things during the day. But it's become so ingrained for me that really it's that like that final, that final send, is really hitting the button. Yeah, no, is really it. what I sweat the most about. And is it going to be what they want? Is it going to be? Um, is it going to be? Can we get it published? Can we use it for market? Like what? What? How's that all going to play out? That's great.
2: Eric, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate the conversation.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Fabulous time. Thank Thank you. you. Awesome. Thanks, Eric. Thanks.
0: Thanks again to Eric for taking the time out to join us on Sweat the Details. Hope you all enjoyed it.